This truly is a, um, a Sunday where we have the opportunity to really look at our hearts when we come to the table and we sing praises to God. This is an opportunity where we actually get to focus on our hearts. And I challenge you because this is exactly what Jesus wanted to do from the very start. That's why I've titled this message, Harbored, Anger Harbored and Anger Displayed. And we've been going through this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, one of the things that I really like, especially about the Sermon on the Mount, is that the words and life of Jesus can resonate with us wherever we're at. And Jesus, not only did he say a few things, but he had a way of saying them that actually was very challenging and it made you think. Um, This is not to take away from the Old Testament because the Old Testament, I actually have more books that I like in the Old Testament than I do in the New. They are very well connected, but they also um, very well have some peculiarities about them. And so I challenge you this morning that as we look through the the New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount to really focus on the words of Jesus because they will challenge you. I was telling first service that there are some things that as I was going through this message that I was very struck by Jesus because throughout my week, I remember I got angry about something and then I'm preaching this message on anger and I was like, oh, I better get it together because I want to look good in this story. See, so um, so I had to try and make sure that I really followed it up. But, you know, when you're mad at Pastor Mike, you just want to stay mad. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Um, the first, uh, the first service, actually, there was quite a few less people because our, our couples, they went to the couples retreat and they're having an amazing time. So be praying for them. But that was one thing that I was mad at Pastor Mike about because he, he neglected to tell me that I'd be doing more than I thought I would. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. No, but hopefully you get a a glimpse of what Jesus was talking about and you're really challenged as you look at God's word. So if you can, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 because that's where we're going to be spending our time. On your outlines, it says, setting the tone of God's word. The reason why I have this is because I'm about to read um, seven verses five or chapter five verses 17 through 20. And I want you to actually really focus on this part because sometimes we are, we, I've heard people say this right here. It's, it's all about the new Testament because, you know, Jesus came to fulfill it. So we don't need the old Testament anymore. And that's far from the truth, friends. They're very well connected, but they also very well speak independently of what God was doing. And so on your outlines, I, I put it this way by way of remembrance, as well as maybe a new thought that you might want to consider. And that is the Old Testament is God's law given. And how we remember that is promises made. I've heard that used by Pastor Mike through series um, that we've done before. So it's God's law given and promises made. So this is a story of God and all the things, the wondrous works that he's done, as well as some very life practical principles that we can gather from God's word. But this was all about who Jesus was going to be. It was a, a waiting on the Messiah to come. 
and is waiting for God's word to be fulfilled. And then the New Testament comes along, and this is the story, the life of Jesus, the promises that God had made and then kept because it was filled, fulfilled through the life of Jesus. So we got a chance to understand some things before we move forward in, the, in today's study and stories to come too. And Jesus really wanted to let the people of God know, hey man, all of God's word matters. All of it. So in verses 17 through 20, I'm going to read, and, I, and I've, I've found it very, um, very understandable in three different ways. So we're going to read and we're going to um, knock down these three points before we actually jump into what murder and, and what anger and all that really looks like and how they're actually connected. So verse 17 says this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I think this has been put in in three ways that it's, it's really all about God's word being affirmed. So you have the, the first point is God's word affirmed. Jesus did an awesome job here before he jumped in some very practical things that hit straight to the heart. He actually wanted to say, hey, all of God's word matters. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So in your Bibles, if you want, you can circle fulfill. But the point is Jesus came that everyone might know who God is and what he wants in the life of his people in a, re- a richer and deeper way. So it's God's word affirmed. He said not even one jot, one tittle, that means one letter can be changed. Not one accent, not one comma needs to be changed because all of God's word is perfect. Then he goes on to say in verse 20 that the word of God needs to be applied. So it's all about the word applied. In verse 19, he says, Whoever therefore breaks the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be the least in the kingdom. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to be called great in the kingdom of heaven, not only do God's word, but teach others to do it as well. So there's an application process within understanding God's word that we actually live it out. And actually, there's a hint towards that in verse 20 where he goes on and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. What he was saying, because this confused me at first when I was reading it, because I was like, hold up, hold up, Jesus. You said that the scribes and the Pharisees were hypocrites, that they honor you with their mouth, but their hearts are far from you. But now you're saying I got to be better than them. So that would somewhat imply that they had to be good, right? Well, as I studied more, Jesus was calling people to that very point I just said. I want you to not only honor me with your lips, but with your hearts. It needs to be that big of an application in your life. That it's not just busy work, but it's actually authentic work. 
So it's the word applied. And then lastly, the word explained. Lastly, the word explained. And so he takes concepts, truths, and commandments from the old prophets and the old Testament. And he says, this is what this means in its entirety. So in verse 21, actually, it starts to say this. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of all old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, so he takes this truth of God and he says, look, this is what you've always thought it to be, but let me actually show you it in its fulfillment. Let me break it down so that you understand it in a better way. And so if you want to, on your notes, you can actually write these references down because in the weeks to come, you will see Jesus hit to the heart, not just this one area of murder, but five other ones. So six total. So you have Matthew 5, 21, Matthew 5, 27, 31, 33, 38, and 43. And these are all references of Jesus actually explaining God's word. So what is God's word all all about? How did Jesus set the tone? Well, he wanted us to understand that he affirms the word of God, all of it, Old Testament and New Testament, that you need to apply it and apply it so much that it becomes a part of your heart and that he is the only reason why he is here is to fulfill God's word and explain it for us. So, With that said, I think if we clearly look at the words of Jesus, we see that him being God was more concerned with the heart than anything else. And that's why you have on here, murder is an action and heart problem. If we're going to jump into this, I want us to get some truths out there before we actually break it down. Murder is an action and a heart problem. Matthew 15, 19 says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. You can underline out of the heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. It didn't say that murders start with action. It didn't say that adultery starts with action. It didn't say that fornication or theft starts with action. It says it starts in the heart. So I would actually like to point out that Before we jump into murder, we should understand it's going to be an action and a heart problem. God has always been concerned about the hearts of his people, which is why, again, I reference when Jesus said, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He was always more concerned about the hearts of his people. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. I, the Lord, search the heart, he says. In Revelation 2.23, there's some strong language that Jesus, Jesus used, but he says this, I will kill her children with death, and the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to one of you each according to your works. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his, own high, in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And that's why I say, if you look to change someone's actions, you'll lose. But if you look to point them to Jesus, who can change their heart, then their actions will follow. And so as we look at God's word, it's all about our hearts being changed so that our actions would follow in line with the standard that Jesus set.
And that's what it's all about. So what is murder? If we're going to define murder, what is it? it? We know it's an action and a heart problem, but what does it really look like? I want to actually start off by giving you the answer. Then we're going to read through the section of Scripture so that we may break it down in all its fullness and understand it completely. So the answer is this. What is murder? Anger, hatred is considered murder. That's what it's on your outline. First John 3.15 says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So let's go ahead and read together. I'm going to read this section of Scripture, and then we're going to back up and take it piece by piece as we understand what it really means. In Matthew 5.21 is where we're going to start. We'll start to see what this murder really is and we've already given the answer it's an anger or hatred and that's what first john three fifteen alluded to but what does that really mean so let's look verse 21 it says this you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment but i say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whoever says to his brother raka shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you, to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. As surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So hopefully as we break this down piece by piece, I know that was probably a lot for us to take in, but I hope that we gain a better understanding on what anger is. And that's why I told Pastor Mike, he better listen to this on audio file because he needs help with this one. So, um, so as we break this down, this is, this is some of the definitions that I came across. Now that we know that it's an anger or hatred, that's what murder is considered according to 1 John and according to this section too, as we'll see. What does that mean? What are some definitions that can help me wrap my mind around this concept of anger? I looked up some definitions within studying and looking on some online resources as well as some books that I've, I've gained and stole from Pastor Mike. But I'll give them back before he comes back. Um, it says this, harbored bitterness that refuses to forgive, that's anger. Another definition said this, anger is an intense dislike often associated with feelings of anger and disposition towards someone or something. Now, hate can be, become very driven, resulting in surges of emotional hatred. Now, this gives us a little bit on how we can wrap our mind about it, but what is the truth about anger? Now that we know that murder is an anger or a hatred, and then we've defined those things, okay, what is the truth about anger? What does Scripture tell me today the truth about anger is? Well, the first point. This is what I think it gives us. Three points and then a, a very practical command at the end. The first thing is this. This evil anger comes in the form of slander. Now, Matthew 5.22, where we, where we just read that, that section of Scripture, says this. 
But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. So that we understand what this means, let me go ahead and break down Raka for us. Although it's somewhat very hard to understand that because there is no equivalent meaning that we can understand. But it does carry a connotation of malicious abuse or slander. Where we get the terms like brainless idiot is one translation that the Bible uses. Worthless, blockheaded. It's causing hurt or pain to someone using your heart and words. Psalm 143 paints a picture of what this slander looks like. It says this, They make their tongues as sharp as serpents. The poison of vipers is on their lips. So I don't know about you, but sometimes there are some people that can say some pretty hurtful things. You know, it reminds me of this thing that my mom always told me when I had people at, uh, at school say something about me, and I'm sure you've all heard it is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's a lie. <laughs> because they always hurt me somehow. I remember I was a short little kid, and I was a little pudgy at times. I was a little, I was, I had a, not that I'm not now, I mean, I'm in great shape now. But I remember when I was little, and I, and I had, you know, and, and for a man or a boy, the hard thing is when girls don't find you attractive. So I had a girl call me a fat boy before. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, and so that, that kind of hurt me. And I was self-conscious. I wore baggy clothes because I didn't want nobody to see my rolls or anything like that. So, but the truth is, that's exactly how our words can be. They can be hurtful. They can be considered sharp as, a, as like a serpent. It's, it's poison of vipers on people's lips. It's the same type of word, that word raka, it's the same type of word that was used to describe those who would mock Jesus as they placed the thorn of crowns on his head and they beat him and mocked him. These were the type of words that they would use. Raka, it's hurtful, it's mean, it's a selfish anger that causes others harm by what you say and how you say it. There's this um, Jewish legend, and it tells of a young rabbi named Simon who had just come out of a session with his famous teacher. And he was so excited about his feelings of completion, wisdom, and holiness, he passed a man who was especially unattractive on his way home. When the man greeted Simon, the rabbi Simon responded, You raka, how ugly you are. All, are all the men of your town as ugly as you? And so the man responded, that I do not know, but go and tell the maker who created me how ugly is the creature he has made. And that makes you think, man, you know, slander is more than just words that get tossed around. But this anger, that disposition towards other, that, that slanderous murder is a strike against God himself. If we're to slander people or men or women or our brothers in Christ, then that, in fact, is slandering God who made man in his image. So what, in fact, we're saying is that person's not good enough that I have to cut him down. And that's the same person that God made. 
to give you a little bit of a concept. Junior high winter camp. I took a group of 12 kids up to their junior high winter camp and they had a blast. And what I do is I challenge them, each one of them, all the boys I have one-on-ones with to see, hey, how is this? How are you doing with this? How are you growing? Are there any questions you have or any struggles that you might want to express and get help through and all that stuff? And I challenge our girl leaders, whoever that is, that goes to do the same thing with our girl students. Well, one of the kids, his name was Josh, um, great kid, fun, you know, um, he's still trying to wrap his mind around who Jesus is and, and what that really means for him. But I said, the first thing I said was, Hey, so what do you think of camp? You know what the first thing that he said was, it wasn't fun. It wasn't the, you know, the speakers and the worship. The very first thing he did was he started breaking down in tears and he said, I just don't want to be a dumb follower of, of my friends anymore. And now if you've been around, just take your own kids, for example. When you're, when you're around your own kids for a certain amount of time, you start to notice just kind of like this, how, who they are and how they speak and the things that they say. And when he said that, it didn't register with me that that's something that he would say. I, so I gathered, hey, someone's probably told you this, that you're just a dumb follower. And so I asked him, I said, so who told you this? And he said, Nobody. And he was still crying and all that. And I said, well, don't worry about it. And so we, we talked through it and all that good stuff. When I found out towards the end of the trip that someone actually said that to him. And so in the midst of serving God and, and loving him and trying to get closer with him and having a great time, there are those who have that viper's tongue who are poisonous and they're slandered towards one another, and they probably didn't even know it. Because I'll tell you what, I bet whoever said it to them didn't say it in a mean or hurtful way. They probably said it in a sarcastic, jokingly way. And even that was the very thing that he remembered about camp versus all the other things. Another person, his name, is, his, his name is Logan, great kid. I love him. He has such an awesome time, and he comes every Wednesday. He's funny. He goes up to camp and I said, Hey man, how are things going? And we talked through a whole bunch of stuff. And then he said, one thing that's been bothering me is that, you know, I, I got a good grade on one of my tests at school. And I said, why does that bother you? That's a good thing, you know? And then he said, well, my friends, you know, they made such a big deal about it. Like I'm just some goof off. You know, and my mom, you know, and my dad, they, they finally, they posted it on the fridge and we went out and got dinner and we celebrated like I, I was never capable of doing this. And I was thinking, man, somewhere along the way, it had to be communicated to him that he was no good, that he couldn't do it, that he was bad at being a student in school. And that's the type, that's the type of, of, of slander we're talking about here. The type that cuts people down where they're at. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, man, if you're going to murder somebody, understand that starts in the heart. It's a heart problem and an action problem. And when you cut people down, man, you're, you're in danger of judgment. And that's what it says here in Matthew 5. But also anger comes in, the, uh, in another form, and that form is this. Number two, this evil anger is condemning towards others. So in Matthew 5.22, see, it says this, After Raka you shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. 
Now, in some Bibles I was doing, I have three Bibles. I have a, a Bible app on my phone that I can look up different translations and all that. Raka and full, those two separate words, actually, when I, when I looked in other translations, are used interchangeably. Why? Because remember what I said about raka. It's, it's, it's hard for us to actually understand that word out of its original language. And likewise, full is the same thing. But full, here's an idea of what full is. I broke it down into this definition that I was able to gather from many sources, and it's this. Stupid, dull, godless, and to rebel against. And so what Jesus was saying here is when you call someone a fool, which means you say that someone is so stupid or that they are that they are godless, be careful because you're in danger of hellfire yourself. So when you condemn others, be careful because you could be condemning yourself in some sense. So it takes it up another notch. It's different, although in our language it doesn't seem like it is. It is, di- it is different. The degree of intensity goes up. I went from calling someone stupid to egotistically believing that they aren't just acting stupid, but they are stupid. They are in fact godless. Nothing good can come from them because they are so dumb is the attitude that I carry when I talk to people. Now, is that right? That's not what Jesus called us to do. And that's, in fact, what we can do all the time. Is someone rubs us the wrong way, they say some hurtful things, and we think, how could they say that? They have no sense. You know what? I bet they're not even a Christian the way they talk to me. And Jesus is saying, wait, don't cut them down. Don't worry about it. You know, I I will take revenge on those who need revenge. But you, you worry about your relationship because whoever hates their brother will separate themselves from God. That's not my follower. That's not a characteristic of the person that I try and love. I am loving always, so you should, in fact, be doing the same thing. You're in danger of hellfire. And actually, that word, real quick, hellfire, um, is translated gaina, and it actually was a dump in one of the nearest cities where dead bodies would be thrown and burnt. Incense, as well as garbage and waste, all would be in this huge dump and it would be burnt and you could smell it for miles. And so that's what Jesus was using some strong language when he said, when you start to get, condemn people, I want you to recognize that you're not doing so hot yourself. When you start to condemn people, then I'm, I'm going to condemn you. And that's strong language, but that's just the way it is. And so this evil, it comes in the form of condemning others. When we think of a word fool, I want to remind you again. In Psalm 14, 1 and 53, 1, it says, A fool has said it in his heart that there is no God. So that gives you an idea of what a fool can actually be translated as. When I said, when I gave you the definition, it means to rebel against or to be without. Thirdly, this evil anger affects our worship of God. 
It says this, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If you want, you can turn with me to Jeremiah, but I'm going to quickly read through that as it has some very stronger language that I like. And, and that's what gets me. I don't know about you, but when I hear Jesus say something really strong, then I'm really challenged. But if it's something like... Love your enemy. You know, I'm like, I'll try. I'll try. You know, but if it's like love your enemy or hellfire, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Yes, sir. Right away. You know? <laughs> and so when I think of this Jeremiah passage, it puts it in a whole nother uh, 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 a way of putting it. And this is what it says. Jeremiah. Oh. Yes. Jeremiah 7, 9, it says this. Actually, I'll read 8. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in my house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? And so it's almost as if Jesus is saying the exact same words. Do you plan to go out there and hate people, to call them fools, to condemn them, and then to come here on a Sunday and worship me and say how much you love me? Do you see the disconnect there? How can you say you love me whom you can't see, and then you say that you hate someone on earth whom you can see? Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. That's what 1 John 3.15, so we have to wrap our minds around this truth. Lastly, the command that you have on your outline, it says this, Anger will come, deal with it by pursuing peace as soon as possible. And that's why you have those last two verses in Matthew chapter 5. And again, this is, this is where the bread meets the butter, as some of you have heard that expression before. I mean, this is where it all takes place on how you're going to live this out, is pursuing peace as soon as possible. Matthew 5, 25 and 26 says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. But the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. As surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Agree with your enemy quickly. One person said it this way, the time is always right to do that which is right. And I would add a little clip to the end and say, so waste no time in pursuing peace. Go out of your way above and beyond all efforts by all means make friends quickly, which means get over it. Hebrews twelve fourteen actually paints a picture and says, hey, I want you to let no bitterness take control in your heart, lest you may be caused to sin. So if you want to read that passage, you can. But that for me was enough to say, you know what? I'm not going to let this get the best of me. I'm going to be angry and not sin, as Paul would say. There's a difference between righteous anger and a selfish anger. And we won't get into that because that's what you actually get to go ahead and look at within your small groups. But I would say this. What's the so what? The so what is this. Waste no time in pursuing peace. If we're to be peacemakers, that means we are peace pursuers. That within every relationship, because the Prince of Peace lives in us, we're to provide peace with others because that's our call, that's our duty, and that is our privilege. Let's be people who cannot be categorized as murderers 
or hateful or bitter people, but love and peace, just like our maker. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you so much, and we thank you for this heartfelt message. God, it's heartfelt because it's directed right at our heart. And God, this is the hard things that are sometimes sometimes hard to swallow, but God, we know that we can do all things through you who give us strength. So God, we ask now that as we leave this place, we would be known as peacemakers, peace pursuers, because we have you, the Prince of Peace, living, dwelling, teaching, and molding us into the people that you want us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand with